This evening we're going to be considering what it means to be under grace. What it means to be under grace. We're looking at Romans chapter 6, verse 14 through to the end of the chapter, verse 23. This requires a bit of a recap. If you look at verse 1 in Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul raised the question that might be asked by Christians in view of the fact that the grace of God is infinitely greater than our sin. This is a question raised by Christians, not people who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. A a Christian might think to ask this question. Let's have a look at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul answered that question in verse 2. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Paul then went on to spend several verses unpacking his answer. Essentially, he showed that continuing a life in sin or of sin is inconsistent for those who have been planted with Jesus in the likeness of his death and raised up to newness of life in him. It simply does not make sense that you would continue in sin as the question is is uh, worded in verse 1. Why would anyone who has, who has died with Christ, been raised up with the Lord Jesus Christ, continue in sin? As Paul said in one of his other epistles in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself for me. Again, having been crucified with Christ and Christ now living in you, why would you continue in sin? You wouldn't. Dear Christian, I trust that you can see the folly of continuing in sin as a new creature in Christ. Far from living as you used to when your identity was in Adam, Paul cautions Christians against yielding their body and their members as instruments of their mortal bodies, sorry, as instruments of unrighteousness. So you should not yield your body and the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. You may remember last week we considered drawing on the grace of God not to use our eyes as instruments with which to look lustfully upon a woman, for example, and commit adultery with her. Nor should we use our tongue as an instrument to say harmful things, to lie, to be deceitful, and so on. It was acknowledged that the, the, the all sin, the seed of all sin, is in the heart. Your heart, my heart, it's all in there, in our hearts. Nevertheless, we use our mortal bodies and the members of our bodies to serve our wicked hearts. We need to keep our bodies in check. 
drawing on the grace of God as Christians, born again Christians. That section ends in verse 14 with Paul saying, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under law, but under grace. And that brings us to today's consideration, which is in verse 15 through to the end of the chapter. It's important to understand what Paul is saying in verse 15. Let's have a look at verse 15 there, because we need to understand that that in order to understand everything else that is about that we're about to consider. Verse 15, what then? Another question being posed by Christians. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. In verse 14, Paul had said, we're not under the law, but under grace. Someone picks up on that and says, okay, we're not under the law. Does that mean that we can, that we can sin because we're not under the law, we're under grace? Looking at verse 1 yet again, you as a Christian have been told that the grace of God is greater than your sin. You might well think that if that's the case, you can can continue to live sinfully. But Paul has already said, no, you've been crucified with Christ and you've been raised up to newness of life. But now Paul is introducing uh, the law into it. He's saying, you're not under the law. And what he's going to show is it's precisely because you are not under the law that you should not sin. It's more usual for the sinful mind to read into that, well, if I'm not under law, that that gives me freedom to do what I want. But Paul is going to show otherwise in these verses. That, that precisely the opposite is the case. Look, look again at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Paul has already looked at various ways that the law is actually set aside by the grace or the unmerited favour of God. For example, he spent much time speaking about the righteousness of God. How is it that we have the righteousness of God? Is it by obedience to the law? I hope you realise by now that that is not the answer, that it is not by obedience to the law that we are righteous before God. Far from it. It's by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that a person is justified before God. And a person who is righteous, who has the righteousness of God, it is because God has declared that person to be so. Nothing to do with obedience to the law. But it has everything to do in believing in Jesus, who was obedient to the law, in life and in death, as your substitute and as your sacrifice for sin. 
In chapter 4, Paul explained that the promises that were given to Abraham and which have their fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are not received through obedience to the law either, the promises of God. Do you receive the promises of God through obedience to, to the law? No, you do not. Again, it's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A faith which is by the grace of God. So, your righteousness before God and the the promises applying to you, it's got nothing to do with your obedience to the law. It's all by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. So you can see that already Paul has spent a lot of time setting aside the law. And now in chapter 6, from verse 15 onwards, Paul explains that it is precisely because you are not under the law that you should not sin. Verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. None of us is a free agent. Maybe there are people in here that like to think that they are free agents, but we're not. We all have a master. Either you are a servant of sin and uncleanness, or else you are a servant of God and of righteousness. It's one or the other. A servant of sin or a slave of sin or a servant of the Most High God. Many people would no doubt be deeply offended by any suggestion that they are servants or slaves of sin unto death. Where death means spiritual death and ultimately condemnation to everlasting punishment in hellfire. For example, in John chapter 8, Jesus said to certain religious Jews, Religious Jews who must have thought of themselves to be accepted by God. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the slave of sin. Those people objected most strongly and they insisted, first of all, that Abraham was their father and they even insisted that God was their father. These religious Jews did. However, Jesus went on to say to them, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Can you imagine those religious Jews hearing that? You are of your father the devil. As the chapter progresses, those self-righteous Jews who claim God as their father showed themselves very clearly to be the slaves of sin unto death, when they dared to accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. And in the last verse in chapter 8, they even tried to kill Jesus. Kill who? Kill the incarnate Son of God. They'd already said that God is our Father, and then next thing you see, they're trying to kill the Son of God. Admittedly, most people aren't as obvious as that in their service to sin, but that doesn't alter the fact that they are nevertheless held in sin's dread sway. What or whom are you a servant of? 
is not determined by your testimony. You may have the most amazing testimony of how you became a Christian and you may well claim that God is your father. However, the life that you now live will be the real testimony of whether you are a slave of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. It's the life that you now live in the flesh. By the way, I trust that you understand very clearly that by now, you understand that obedience does not make you righteous. Saying that you are a servant of obedience that you uh, unto righteousness doesn't mean that you are made righteous by your obedience. And you're made acceptable to God by your obedience. God makes you acceptable when he saves you by his grace through faith in Jesus. So let's have a look at verse 17 there. God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. The righteousness referred to there in verse 17 Sorry, verse 18. Look at verse 18. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. The servants of righteousness. The righteousness referred to there in verse 17 is not your righteous status before God. That righteousness that God declares you to be when you were first saved from your sin. That is not what it's referring to. It's the fruit of obedience to God. It refers to holy living and it describes the child of God who is led by his saviour on paths of righteousness. He is someone who, having been saved by the grace of God, hungers and thirsts after righteousness and greater levels of holiness in his life. And so he draws on the grace of God to live godly, soberly, righteously in this present world so having been declared righteous you live righteously and that's how you are a servant of righteousness look in verse 17 through to 19 but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you being then made free from sin, you became the servants or the slaves of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness, unto holiness. I love verse 17. It speaks volumes about the grace of God. Let's have a look at it yet again. We'll see the grace of God from start to finish in verse 17. It's very helpful to understand where it's written, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Have a look at that in your own Bible. If you've got the King James Bible there at the end of it, Ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you or delivered to you 
the doctrine's being delivered to you. It ought to read, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. It wasn't delivered to you, you were delivered to it. That form of doctrine, there's a big difference there. Do you understand, the doctrine spoken of is the gospel of Christ. And that was not delivered to you. Rather, God delivered you to it. For that is the only way that you or I would ever yield to the gospel with an obedience that comes from the heart if God delivers us to that gospel. In other words, God takes the initiative with us. The gospel of Christ reveals the holiness of God and it exposes our sin. You would never, of your own volition, submit to that doctrine and be obedient to it unless the grace of God reached you first and God himself drew you with loving kindness to the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel and that is precisely what can be seen in verse 17 that's the grace of God taking a hell deserving sinner and delivering that person to Jesus Christ and his gospel so that they become obedient to the gospel of Christ Note also that Paul gives thanks not to you in uh, that verse, look at it again, but God be thanked in verse 17, not you. God is being thanked there for your obedience to the gospel. Paul thanks God for your obedience in acknowledgement that your obedience proceeds from a heart that has been operated on by the great heavenly physician. God is indeed worthy to be praised when you consider that you who were once a slave of sin unto death are now a servant of the Most High God. Far from habitually committing sin, you must surely give thanks to God as you follow Jesus along those paths of righteousness. And that happened ever since Jesus delivered you unto the gospel, having chosen you in eternity. When you consider what Paul is saying in verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. You are free from sin. Can you see how utterly ridiculous it is to even think that you as a Christian have liberty to sin because you are under the law, sorry, not under the law, but under grace. He says that you are free from sin. How can you sin when you're free from sin? Looking at verse 20 through to 23. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. That was before, before ye became a Christian. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. These verses again show very clearly that none of us are free agents. You are either a slave to uncleanness 
and to iniquity, unto iniquity, and to sin, according to verse 19, or else you are a slave to God, one or the other. Slavery to sin ends in death, for the wages of sin is death. That is your just rewards. The wages of sin is death. Whereas the gift of God to all whom he has delivered unto obedience, it's not wages, it's the gift of God to all whom he has delivered uh, to obedience, to his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel is eternal life. The world seems to be stepping up its efforts to defy God. For example, across the world, governments are increasingly removing God from school curricula. They now enact legislation that encourages and celebrates wickedness. We are reaching a time when people are being discouraged and even forbidden from publicly worshipping the only true God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We now have a shameful situation in the United States of America where a Democratic representative from Missouri who has been a Methodist pastor for over 30 years called for peace among society and in Congress he ended his prayer as follows. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God Brahma and God known by many names, by many different faiths, amen and a women. That's shameful. That's where we're at in this world. That defiance towards God. If ever there was an example of the rulers taking counsel together against the Lord and his Christ. That has got to be it. That kind of prayer. Invoking the name of Brahma, a Hindu god. And ending the prayer, Amen and a women. This world is truly evil with leaders taking counsel together. And the people of the world foolishly say in their hearts that there is no God as they vainly imagine that they are free or at least free from accountability to their maker. But it is appointed unto man to die once and then the judgment. We have seen the reality. No one is free. You are either a servant and a slave of sin unto death, or else by the grace of God, and this is the grace of God, you are a servant, or let's step it up here, you are a slave of the Most High God, and you gladly serve him as someone who has been planted into the likeness of the death of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved you, and who gave himself for you at the cross. And you've been raised up to newness of life in the risen Saviour. You are no longer under the law which serves to magnify your sin and to condemn you as a guilty sinner. Rather, you have been delivered unto Jesus and you have been given a heart to believe in him. 
to believe that he has fulfilled the law's demands on your behalf in his life of perfect obedience to God and in his sacrificial death as he carried away your sins. I'll leave you with a question. Would you rather be a slave of sin unto death or else would you rather be yoked to the Lord Jesus Christ, bound to Jesus as a servant of righteousness? That question really ought to be a no-brainer. It's not a difficult question. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen.